BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. Welcome to Hancock and Kelly here on Fox 2, my friends in low places. It's a Garth Brooks weekend. See <laughs> it was some good stuff last uh, night. Yeah, it was. And the Garth. time change. Heck, people don't even know we're on right now. On the right is John Hancock, Morning. right over there, looking more and more like Garth Brooks every day. On the left is Michael Kelly. Hey, hey. I don't even know. And I'm John He's bold, too. You can sing. You can sing. You can oh, get in yeah. front of a crowd and sing. Oh, yeah. All right. This story right here that we have, we're not going to do it yet. It is the most surprising, least surprising story of the week. <laughs> wow. When we get to this, I don't know if you'll be Let's shocked. Let's massage this story a little. Okay. Huh? All right. Big story this week, though. President Trump's former campaign manager is heading to prison. That was a preview, by the way. And the president made sure to clarify his connection to Paul Manafort in this case before he took off. Here's what you got. I feel very badly for Paul Manafort. Uh, I think it's been a very, very tough time for him. But if you notice, uh, both his lawyer, a highly respected man, and a very highly respected judge, the judge said there was no collusion with Russia. This had nothing to do with collusion. There was no collusion. It's a collusion hoax. It's a collusion witch hoax. I don't collude with Russia. So I just want to tell you that his lawyer went out of his way, actually, to make a statement last night. No collusion with Russia. There was absolutely none. The judge, I mean, for whatever reason, I was very honored by it, also made the statement that this had nothing to do with collusion with Russia. So, you know, keep it going. Let's go. Keep the hoax going. Just a hoax. Senator Burr said there's no collusion. You look at Devin Nunes and the House Intelligence uh, Commission Committee. They said there's no collusion. And guess what? There is none. What was the message he was trying to get I don't think that was the actual question or the answer to the question. (laughs) But anyway, you get the idea there's no collusion here, even though I don't think that's what they were trying to get. Trying to find out how a four-year prison sentence for a guy that did as much as Manafort did is just. All right, you're up Well, it's not, and it clearly is not. This was an activist judge who was trying to send a message to Bob Mueller, and he was using the political forum that he has as a judge to be able to do it. It's unfortunate. This guy ran, ran a 10-year criminal operation where he swindled nearly $60 million and defrauded the federal government out of $7 million. Uh, the, the guy's a bad dude. It should have been more than four years, and had he been a different color or sex, he likely would be serving for longer than that. And then to say, oh, he's had to live a, pretty much a blameless life. John Hancock's talked to us before about how what a bad dude uh, Paul Manafort is. His background's not so a- good. As oh, it man, relates to his attorneys... That was a press conference for an audience of one. When he went out there and gave the speech about no collusion with Russia, that was the attorney speaking to the president in the hopes that he will pardon Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort's still got another hurdle to come. He's going to court and one other place that hasn't been too kind to Trump and his cronies. Yeah, John, I mean, what, it was between 19 and 40 years was the recommended sentencing? I'll go with 47 months. Well, look, here's the thing. The, the whole purpose of the Mueller probe was to see if, A, how and if and how Russia meddled in our elections. They did. And, B, 
was there any kind of collusion between the presidential campaign of the Republican Party, Donald Trump, and operatives from Russia? Okay, that has been, I think, an established fact that there was no collusion. The president's right about that. And Manafort, I dare say, if you send the, the federal government into anybody's books, anybody's books, they're going to find some crimes in there. Uh, and, and I think what the judge is pointing out is that Paul Manafort, but for the fact that the special prosecutor was going after the Russian collusion thing, look what they found. Manafort's a bad actor. He is a bad actor. Well, he cheated the government out of tax dollars. He's going to jail. I think four years is about right. And the guy's in his 70s. Uh, he, he's never, you know, he's not a violent anybody's criminal. Anybody's books, John? I mean, come on. I, I, I've never seen $60 million. I've never heard the federal government $6 or $7 million. The only types of people that anybody would apply, apply to are the very best people that Donald Trump. This was no bit player. This was his campaign manager. This is a man who's been around Washington. The fact that he swindled $60 million and cheated the federal government out of $7 million, you think that's just... Nothing? No, I don't think it's nothing. But I'm, I think if he didn't step into that campaign, uh, the federal government was never going to go after Paul Manafort. And uh, for the reasons that he's going to prison for now, it's because he was involved with that campaign. And I think the four-year sentence is about right. And, uh, and I think the president's correct. There is no collusion with the campaign and the Russians. Okay, I'm going to tie this into the Mizzou investigation going on right now. You ready for this one? Okay. Here's, here's a curveball for ears, you. Brown. Okay, so Mizzou, when they started getting investigated for the, the whole thing they just went through, right, with the, the tutor, they fully cooperated with everything. Right? They got the smackdown. They got worse than what people, what other universities got who didn't cooperate. Okay, so Manafort didn't cooperate with anything. He had no remorse, yet he got the same sentence as people who fully cooperate. So what's the incentive to cooperate with judges if you get the exact same thing as if you don't? I mean, now well, he's, you know, he kept his friends. He's it's never, it's never not done for Paul Manafort. And he is older, and, but he's going to live the rest of his life in prison because he's going to get the full book from this next judge. I mean, this is a bad dude. Excellent point there about Mizzou, but when you bring up the NCAA, I... We're back to criminal operations. <laughs> it's all tied together in that one. <laughs> all right, President once again making a point that after two years of all these investigations, right, no collusion. Democrats, though, are apparently starting to get worried. The Mueller report will show none either, which goes back to what John has been saying for months. And that probably explains why they have these 81 people they want to look into. That's what the Republicans are saying, is that if Mueller doesn't come up with something, by golly, we're going to get something. Yeah, and I, that's exactly what's happening here. And at some point, and it may be happening before our eyes, at some point, that kind of an approach to this is going to backfire on the Democrats. You, you, you get 80, I know, Kelly, I just hold on over there. <laughs> uh, the, it is, you know, family members, secretary, uh, it, it's too much. It's too much of an overreach, and, and they're doing it precisely because they got nothing on the collusion case. Well, back when Ken Starr was investigating Whitewater, and the report comes out that there was no violation of the law by the Clintons, and eventually the president gets impeached for lying under oath, you had no problem with the overreach of the council at that time looking in. You said you would have been saying that criminal wrongdoings are criminal wrongdoings, especially when you're dealing with the highest office in the land. Well, I'm just saying, and I think the Democrats will err uh, if they go down this impeachment road. And I think the, some of the cooler heads among them understand that, and they don't want to touch impeachment with a 10-foot pole. They're more than happy to weaken Donald Trump, which is what... Uh, but at some point, you know, they're going to uncover something that enough of their people are going to insist must be impeachable, and we're going to have that dance, 
all of which politically, I think, is going to help Donald Trump get reelected. I really do. We're going to get to that in the B block of this show today. One more headline here as far as Donald Trump is concerned. We'll talk, we'll talk Democrats in the second segment here. Uh, headline from the Daily Mail this week, the most surprising, least surprising story that I've found. It reads, founder of Massage Parter, where Robert Kraft was arrested, is a Trump donor, frequent party goer at Mar-a-Lago, and White House guest. Does it surprise you that the woman who ran the massage parlor watched the Super Bowl with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago? No, it's clearly somebody who would know how to grab him by it. Oh. I, just, I just hope we're not getting a bad rub over here over uh, acquaintances. Oh, it's come to this. All right, still the guy that doesn't. I mean, the story, I don't think anybody's surprised. The story's like, oh, this is groundbreaking. I'm like, everything's, well, okay, that's kind of what we would expect. Oh, wait till the fall wheels come out and right. see how great he is. All right, we're going to talk Democrats straight ahead. Also coming up today, <laughs> we're going to talk about low voter turnout in the city. How easy is it to get elected in this town anymore? We're going to break down some numbers straight ahead here on Hancock and Kelly. Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. First segment, all about Donald Trump. Second segment is about the Democratic side. Speaker Nancy Pelosi fighting a pair of battles. First of all, she's leading the House against the president, which is her role. And then secondly, she's also trying to figure out how to handle all these leftist members of the Democratic freshman class. She has people in her own party now saying that the real leader of the party is AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You have the anti-Semitic remarks by another congresswoman at a recent Democratic meeting. She was trying to say, guys, here's what we got to do. And then she says, I can't help you if you won't shut up and listen to me. And then Nancy Pelosi walked out. All right, guys, let's talk about this one. Uh, the, the far left Democrats are getting all the attention right now, which doesn't bode well for a presidential run because it shows that if the president oh. is up against somebody like that on the far left, he's going to win. So Democrats need to realize that. Well, some, yeah, that may be the that. case, but we've had far right Republicans being in the face of the Republican Party for quite some time, and it hasn't hurt them. But they can win. Yeah, I, but I, they can win enough states, I think, we, is their we, point. We shall see. Look, this is eerily reminiscent of the Gingrich Revolution. You had a lot of folks who came in with extremist positions, and Newt Gingrich had to try to corral them. They didn't have the microphones of Twitter and Facebook and what we deal with in today's media. This is problematic. I don't think there's a better person to try to corral this than Nancy Pelosi uh, because this is a tough task. You have moderate Democrats. You have these leftist Democrats. Keeping everybody's eye on the prize has got to be the key, and that is beating Donald Trump. I think Nancy Pelosi had kind of a sad week this week in the watered-down resolution that was passed. But she's doing the right thing and trying to hold her party together. When the member of Congress you're trying to censure votes for the resolution you put up to censure them, and it tells you <laughs> it's not very strong. Uh, and, and here's the thing. It, it's, look, yes, you've got, you've got radical elements in both parties, but you don't have hate speech elements in both parties. I mean, this well, is what are you speech. talking about, John? Or do you even know who John King is, the, the congressman Stephen from just King. north yep. of us? Yep. Stephen King? Steve King, yeah. You're going to say this. How about the President of the United States saying there were good people on both sides of the debate in this Carolinas? Is, this Don't is play this on the Democrats. This is and, and here's the other problem here, Brown, is that Nancy Pelosi miscorralled mis the troops out there, Kelly. She put this woman on the Foreign Relations Committee. The absolute last place you should put somebody that's got issues like this. She needs to come off of that committee. And, and, and that's one concrete thing. And the Republicans, you, strip, I, how, how? the Republicans strip Steve King of his committee assignments. The Democrats should do the same. How you can here. sit there with a straight face and accuse the Democrats of being the party of hate with well, the ridiculousness that has come out of the mouth of Donald Trump? This is, this is a problem we all have. 
This is a problem that's going on in our country. That be, but that's disingenuous and false to say that this is not happening on your side with the stuff that Donald Trump, he's encouraging violence against the media, John. I'm just saying this gal needs to be taken off. Well, then say it that way, but don't that's try to said. paint a whole party. No, you said it was only on the Democratic side. You're out of your mind. Well, I was using your Gingrich analogy, and we didn't have those issues when, when Gingrich was corralling the troops out there. Pelosi's got a real problem here that she needs to deal with. Well, here's, here's one of the things that keeps coming up time and again. When you look at the numbers here, yeah, AOC is very popular in Brooklyn, right? You have other Democrats popular in San Francisco and Portland. Moderate Democrats here in the middle say this moved too far to the left who are in office are saying, hey, we got to bring it back because we got a bunch of old blue collar farmers, union guys, and they can't relate to the leftist move here. So to win this, you have to have somebody like in, a Biden. In the last two weeks, both John and I have interviewed both Dick Gephardt and Senator mm -hmm. uh, Claire McCaskill. And both of them said that this movement that's happening inside the Democratic Party is problematic. And what Democrats need to do is what they did in 2018 to win this election, and that's get back to kitchen table issues. And hopefully the Democratic Party will focus on that. I'm worried that some of the left is pulling us that way. But, I mean, at the same time, we had a president who was out on whack job land during his campaign, and he winds up getting the nomination. And number show, though, John. Well, you do that, the President Trump wins. And that's the one thing I don't think these young members understand. They know what their members in Brooklyn are saying, but they're not listening to the rest of the The country question saying, isn't so much Trump will win the, the members. The question is the electorate. And, and I was wrong in 2016. I thought the Republican electorate was a conservative electorate. I thought it was, you know, movement conservatives who believed in limited government and so forth. And, and Donald Trump, who ran as a nationalist populist, I didn't think there was a constituency there to nominate. Well, I was wrong about that. Uh, because I think that element, there's a lot more of that element in the Republican Party that many of us understood going into the 2016 election. I think it may be the case that there is more of this socialist element in the Democrat electorate than you might have otherwise thought is the case. And if that's true, then that's who they're going to nominate. Ultimately, it's not so much about the candidates as it is about the voters that are making the choices. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, still to come on Hancock and Kelly, we are going to talk about low voter turnout in the city. All right. I broke Low down team. some of oh, Yeah, it's something. I broke down some numbers. When you see the numbers that I crunch from around the state of Missouri and what it takes to win in Republic, Missouri, population 12,000, versus the city of St. Louis, it's an absurd reaction here. It's coming up. Yeah, we, we have to start live streaming the commercial breaks here, fellas. <laughs> you you may have heard some of the best singing. You have a seven-second delay? <laughs> <laughs> we need one. Let's talk election. Primary election was this past week in the city of St. Louis. Okay, I was right here at this exact seat watching the numbers trickle in. When I say trickle, I mean trickle. <laughs> well, because the website yeah. shut down. Well, that too. On election night when the website shut down. I've never down. felt more like a Republican, Kelly, than sitting at home waiting for the St. Louis City election results to come in. That's how I end every election night. <laughs> All right. Okay, here's the story. I want to I play this back, and we're going to talk about this. Here's the story I did the following day regarding the low bar it now takes to win an election in the city of St. Louis. Take a look what I did. Take a look at these numbers from last night's primary. First of all, we're going to go here to Ward 4. You can see that's in the uh, North St. Louis area, Fairgrounds Park neighborhood. Samuel Moore won with 516 votes. Three other candidates all got between 127 and 176, but he won with 516. We'll move on next here to Ward 20, which is in South City along I-55. Only two candidates running here, 
And you can see the numbers there. Kara Spencer won with 660 votes. Move on to our next ward that we're going to focus on here today. Ward 2, which wanders along the Mississippi River on the north side. Lisa Middlebrook there, she won it with 575 votes out of 900 votes that were totally cast in that district. Move on to our next one here. and We'll look at this uh, ward number 26, which is just north of Forest Park. Shamim Clark Hubbard wins this one with only 522 votes. We have one more for you here, too. One of the lowest that we found, Ward 18, which is part of the Central West End and Midtown neighborhoods. It shows just how few votes it takes to win a seat at this point. Jesse Todd ran against four others, and he won the seat with, as you see it, 390 votes to win that entire area there. So let's look at the entire city here, right? The entire city got to vote for the president of the board. Lewis Reed won the Democratic primary with 12,416 votes. In second was Jamila Nasheed with about 11,000. Now, to put that in perspective, it once took about 60 or 70,000 votes to win a citywide race in the 1960s in St. Louis. Now, keep in mind, the board president, one of the three most powerful positions in the city because they sit on the board of estimate and apportionment, which controls the budget. Now, remember, this is just the primary, but since most seats are unopposed in the general election, these are pretty much the final results. All right, it's the city where you live. I mean, these numbers are amazing that it takes 12,000 to have control over the budget, one of three people. I, it just blew me away when I was looking into these. Couple of thoughts. Yep. I think it shows what the voters maybe think of the offices that they're electing people to right now that they're not participating. Two, it's a March primary. Right. It's still frozen. I mean, yep. why aren't we voting in August and November when, dem when people are conditioned to go and typically vote? Um, and finally, I think it speaks to the need for us to see some reform and change in the way that we're governing ourselves. Ward reduction is one thing. Well, they're going to they're going to go in half, so now it'll take a thousand votes to get elected. <laughs> to, you know, it, it is uh, it's really sad uh, to to look at the the numbers and, and how few voters are, are participating and making truly consequential decisions over who's going to lead. Uh, you know, arguably one of the most important places in the state. It is the economic center for sure. And, you know, with 300 votes. When, and that's not against, I'm not saying anything against people who won. They did what they had to do, well, right? But it doesn't make sense to put these, are we getting the best and the brightest when you get three? People come up to us when you're getting coffee and stuff and say, why aren't you putting this message together for young people? Why aren't you doing this? You know what? Democracy is for those who participate. Right. And none of these numbers surprised me. I didn't expect right. there to be any more turnout than we saw. Okay, I, I want to, I've always heard that if you want to make an absurd story point, make an absurd comparison, right? So here we go. I ran these numbers very quickly. Ran, if you want to win a city council seat in Springfield, Missouri, yeah. right? In the most recent spring election back in 2017, here's what you need. Winner of one of the general council seats, Jan Fisk, 14,000 votes. Another, Craig Hosmer, 15,000. The winner of the City of Republic Council Member Ward 4. You're not talking about the whole City of Republic. City of Republic Council Ward 4, James Dykeman, won with 381 votes. Think about that. Republic Missouri in Ward 4, it took more votes to win that one than it takes to win a district in St. Louis. That's how absurd it's gotten, guys. And a lot of money is spent on these elections to get these kind of votes. Well, maybe some of these people down in Republic ought to move to St. Louis and run for office. They could win. They could. Maybe so. All right, so coming up here on Hancock and Kelly, we're going to have some final thoughts, including the debate over Nickelback. You ready for that one? Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. Okay, we often hear that this show discusses topics other political shows miss, right? We're about to prove you right. Take a listen. Only four 
uh, wanted to keep this provision. Everyone else wanted to change this out of 77,000. Uh, that's probably about the percent of people who think Nickelback is their favorite band in this country. It's pretty low. Uh, and I think uh, if you look at it, Nickelback's your favorite band. I, I, I apologize to the gentleman. Why would you criticize one of the greatest <laughs> bands of the 90s? Wow. All right. One more reason why there's a difference between Democrats and Republicans, clearly. Yeah, that's Illinois Republican Rodney Davis supporting Nickelback. I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> a lot of people don't. You're probably not a Nickelback fan either. Well, huh? CNN reported that Rodney Davis got beat on election night, and they were wrong about that. Maybe uh, he's got a secret Nickelback following out there that is pushing him over the top it could electorally. Be. I, I kind of like Nickelback myself. I don't know. Maybe I'm one of the few. And by the way, it's the 2000s, not the 90s. Yep. All right, final thoughts times here. You want to go first? Yeah, you, you know, this emergency declaration vote that took place in Congress on Friday, uh, Republicans saying, no, now the president's going to veto it. And, and they won't have the votes to override it. Uh, but this is the first veto of the Trump administration. It's significant. Uh, and now this whole debate is going to shift to the courts. Yeah, the other thing I'd keep an eye on, you know, the Republicans get elected every presidential cycle talking about the debt, talking about the debt. We're now up over $3 trillion that's been put on since Donald Trump came to office and no conversation from the Republicans about debt. All right, thanks so much for watching Hancock and Kelly. If you missed any part of the show, you can be like many, many others. I think we had a record on downloads for the, the podcast. Or <laughs> you can download it there on your smartphone. It's actually much higher. Just search out Hancock or Kelly. Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace is next. Have a great weekend. See you back here next Sunday. Bye.